So this is my favorite time of the year. I, I think a few months ago, or maybe it was a summer, I, I ordered my months for you and told you which ones were the best. And so this is number one. Um, I love this month. I love this season. And, and I recognize that most of us do because it's, it's an important part of who we are as followers of Christ. It doesn't necessarily mean it's always easy. It just means that most of us in our Christian lives uh, live in a place where this is something that we really anticipate. And, and so as I think about it, I started thinking about what is Christmas really? I mean, if we look from a cultural standpoint, right, from that sort of a, a cultural picture, it's about a lot of things, right? Christmas is about traditions and jingle bells and mittens and snowfall and red Starbucks cups and those red and green Hershey's Kisses and those Lexus commercials where, you know, the family's sitting around, the most beautiful family you've ever seen, sitting around the fire and dad gives mom a car and they're hugging the driveway, the kids have a snowball fight, you know, and it's about figgy pudding and yule logs and I don't even know what those things are, but it's about all that sort of stuff that encompasses this moment, this season for us. And while I'll say that a little bit tongue-in-cheek, I mean, what really is it about? I mean, it's an amazing season. You know, this year, it is set to say that Americans will spend about $470 billion on Christmas. Billion with a B. $470 billion in 2013-14, towards the end of the year, on Christmas. $8 billion of that will be spent on decorations for our homes and lawns. Right? The average American kid this season will get 50 presents, 50 toys at Christmas, right? Four out of five dog owners will buy their dog a Christmas present this year at the average of about $40 a dog. It's said that 80% of us as Americans will put all of those purchases on a credit card. The average credit card carries 16.99% APR. The average American family has $8,500 in credit card debt. So what is Christmas really? I mean, when you add all those things together, what is this really about? I thought what I'd do over the next few kind of weeks is, is kind of deculturalize us a little bit. We like to think a little bit differently about Christmas around here if you've been with us for any extended period of time. To kind of deculturalize us a little bit and pick one thing out and talk to you about what I believe Christmas is really about in these categories. Because I think all of us know that even though we love this time of year, we know it's not about those things. And we know that it, my kids, in fact, Cooper this morning, I was sitting at Starbucks because we were all there a little early getting ready for church. And I was reading through some stuff I was going to talk about. And, and he read the line, I have a line that says, you know, Christmas is not about presents or something somewhere buried in that little sermon. He's like, hey, Dad, I know that Christmas isn't about presents, but we still get them, right? I mean, <laughs> just ask it as he's eating his Starbucks donut. I was like. Probably, yeah, exactly. Even though we know it's not about those things, how do we intentionally make movements in our lives where we can deculturalize our hearts and begin to really think about what, not just what matters, but what Christmas really means? So the first thing I'm going to share with you this Sunday, I want to talk to you about this idea that Christmas is about presence. Not presence, but presence. About God's presence. And about you giving your presence. So if you've got a moment, or if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Luke chapter 1. Because as soon as we begin to talk about these things, I want you to really see what's unfolding in Scripture. As we really picture this idea of Christmas being about presence. So if you've got your Bible, I want you to open to Luke chapter 1. We're going to do some of these things kind of briefly, because we've got some more worship that we want to engage in on this first Sunday of Advent. But I really want to, as we start this season, it's a perfect opportunity to sort of de-culturalize our hearts. And take a step backwards and say, God, what is this whole thing 
really about in the first place. So if you got Luke chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 26. We'll start there. Let's take a moment and let's pray before we read God's word together. God, I confess and I recognize that I'm not up here going anti-Christmas at all. Uh, My life is very much wrapped up in all that happens in these next four weeks and sort of the love of Christmas lights and, and trees and things and and hot chocolate and jingle bells and mistletoe or whatever all those sort of things are that make this holiday great for each of us. And Lord, those are important things. And I, I'm not, I don't want to rob those uh, kind of traditions and those important things from our life that make this season. But God, I often find, find myself kind of wrapped up in those things and, and very rarely do I step back and say, God, what do you really want me to give? What should I engage in during this season? What, how does that change me? And God, as we look today about the idea of presence, about your presence, and about us giving our presence, I pray that you would use this as a launching place to sort of redefine our picture of what this season really means. Take a moment in your own heart and just ask God to, in a really simple way, refocus your heart. Maybe that's all you need to whisper this morning. God, just in in a really simple way, refocus my heart. Take a moment and pray for someone beside you or in front of you, behind you, even if you don't know them. Just whisper that God would move in them. Be in the habit of praying for other people. Lord, we love you. We thank you that your word is living and active, that it's sharper than any double-edged sword, that it is true, and that penetrates our very hearts. We ask that you would teach us this morning in a really simple way, a really simple reminder that might help us refocus this whole season. As a family, together, as a church, together, Lord, that you would redirect our hearts. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Really familiar words this morning, by the way. And I know that you've probably heard a zillion sermons on the idea that, well, Christmas is, you know, what Christmas is really about, the reason for the season. I'm going to take a little bit different approach, okay, because I think we all know that. But part of it is remembering and living into some of these truths, I think, that is really important. Let's look at what's unfolding in history right now, okay? So this is uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. In the sixth month, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will be with child and you will give birth to a son and you will give him the name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him a throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. His kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born, you will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who was said to have been barren is in her sixth month, for nothing is impossible with God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May it be as you have said, and then the angel left her. 
pretty familiar words. We've heard them most of our lives growing up if we've been around church at all. So I don't take for granted the fact that maybe some of us haven't grown up in church. But for those of you that have, these are familiar words. We break them out once a year. They're in our Christmas songs and Christmas carols. We're reminded of the Virgin Mary that has now with child and all that's unfolding there. And this marks the season for us as Jesus going to be born in a manger, right? This is the Christmas story. If we really look what's unfolding here in history, it's something pretty radical. I mean, it's a scandal. It's, it's unbelievable what's happening. Here's Mary in, involved in a betrothal and an arranged marriage, right? Her family and Joseph's family have probably been organizing this thing for some time, maybe even from the time they were young children. Mary most likely is between 13 and 15, maybe a, maybe a 16-year-old, but either way, she is a young woman. And she is involved in a betrothal and an arranged marriage to this man. And all of this marriage hinges on the fact that Mary has never been with another man. Everything hinges on that single truth. That Mary's family was giving their daughter, and this is all, all culturally happening in, in the sort of Middle Eastern antiquity, and so you've got to remember all those things. All this hinges on the fact that Mary is a virgin and that her family's line is right. And that Joseph, his family, is accepting this on those terms. So here's Mary, this young woman, when an angel of the Lord, the angel of Gabriel, appears to her and basically drops this incredible bomb on her, right? You are now God's chosen. God has found, is giving you favor, and you are going to have a child, and you're going to name that child Jesus. So here you are, a 14-year-old, 15-year-old young woman, in an arranged marriage and a betrothal that's probably been going on for several years and will continue for another year. As you're waiting sort of for this, you hear this, that now you are going to be, if not already, pregnant. A lot of confusion there, right? I mean, you talk to your mom and dad, you know how all this stuff works, and you know that this is not normal. This is no ordinary pregnancy. And so she has that question, well, how is this going to happen? I mean, I'm a virgin. How can this possibly be? The angel says, God has found favor on you. This is going to be the gift of, a whole, of the Holy Spirit. And you will not only call this, this child Jesus, but he will be called the son of the most high God. He will sit on his father, David, right? His father, David's line. He will be from the line of David. And he will reign over all. Can you imagine the questions that were going through Mary's mind? I mean, she was raised a good Jew, no doubt. She knew the story. She knew King David. She knew that the Messiah was going to come. That was the promise. But here you are. I mean, imagine where you were as a teenager, right? What goes through your mind? How are you going to tell your parents? How are you going to tell your husband or soon-to-be husband, right? You probably only talked to him three or four times because in an arranged marriage, you're not celebrating and moving in towards intimacy. These are things your family did very intentionally. You knew who he was, but somehow you're going to have to break the news to him that you are now pregnant. You know what that might mean? That might mean that his whole family could look at you and say, are you kidding? This isn't going to happen. And who's going to believe you? You're going to say, no, no, really, I, I wasn't with anybody else. I promise. God said this is his child. You know what the culture is going to say? What the people around are going to say? They're going to laugh and they're going to point and they're going to say, whatever. What if someone told that to you? What if your daughter came home? She said, don't worry, it's, I've never been with anybody else. I'm pregnant, but it's nobody else's. It's God's. I mean, what would you say? 
I mean, in, in reality, we have the luxury of sitting 2,000 years later and saying, yes, we read the word of God. But Mary's explaining this to her parents. And she's going to be explaining it to Joseph. And it was a huge scandal. And guess what? The world wasn't going to believe it. It wasn't like everyone was like, oh, yeah, well, that makes great sense. No, they weren't going to believe it. This is no ordinary pregnancy. This is an incredible scandal. And sometimes we gloss over that with the carol singing and the hand-holding and the sweet baby Jesus lying in the manger kind of deal and forget that this is an absolute, just, unbelievable cultural scandal. So here you have this young woman telling her family and her husband that she is now pregnant and the baby is now God's. Now here's the thing about this pregnancy is that it was marking something incredible. And I know most of us don't spend our time really dealing with fancy theological terms. Most of us really don't care too much about deeper kind of big theological ideas. But there's one that everybody really needs to know. And it's a theological term called the incarnation. And the incarnation, by definition, is the embodiment of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's what all that means. The incarnation is the embodiment of God, holy, majestic, mighty, powerful God in the person, the humanness of Jesus Christ. Meaning that Jesus, being fully human, is also fully God. That is the incarnation. Majestic, sinless, perfect, holy, mighty God embodied in Jesus Christ. This is what Christmas is about. It's about the incarnation. And the incarnation isn't something peaceful. The incarnation isn't just something that sort of happens one night. The incarnation is a radical collision of heaven and earth. It is majestic, mighty, holy, perfect, amazing God colliding with sinful humanity. It is God taking the very form of the creation he made. It is a radical collision. In fact, John, the book of John chapter 1 says that it's like light piercing the darkness. It is a massive collision of heaven and earth. And sometimes we think that heaven or that Christmas time is about this sort of peaceful thing where, where no one fights and everything's nice and mom bakes sugar cookies and grandpa plays the piano and we all sing songs about this peaceful baby lying in a manger and everybody brings their gifts and the sheep are there and the cows and all these kind of things and it looks great. But that's not what's happening. What's happening in history is an upheaval. It's all of heaven coming into collision with sinful humanity through the piercing cries of an infant, through the scandal of a 15-year-old girl. The incarnation changes everything. Because what God did was God gave his presence to humanity. See, Christmas is about God's presence. It's about God saying, I love you, creation, so much that not only will I come to redeem and rescue you, but I will do it through the person of Jesus Christ. That I will break into your world and I will give you myself to redeem you of all your sinfulness. In most of our Christian lives, there is a disconnect from that manger to the cross. The reality is the incarnation is the inbreaking of the cries of an infant that leads us to the redemption and new life that comes to the resurrection and crucifixion of Christ. We seem to remember the peaceful things and we forget the agony of that Friday. The incarnation is a picture of those things wrapped up together. That God in his infinite, amazing, incredible wisdom knew that that manger would lead him to that hill. And that he would ultimately die for the sin 
of creation, the creation that he breathed life into. And oftentimes, we mistake this incarnation for shopping malls and sweaters for our dogs. The reality is that God broke into our world to redeem us. And it was violent, and it was radical, and it was an upheaval, and it was rooted in scandal. Which really is a picture of the life of Christ. Jesus' entire life was one that was rooted in scandal. What I'm really fascinated about in this story is, so Mary, she's really dealing with, I mean, a pretty significant set of questions. Verse 29 says she was greatly troubled, probably the understatement of the year, right? As you keep going, she's asking questions like, how will this be, Mary asked the angel. I've never been with anybody. She is riddled with questions and struggles. But in perhaps what I think is one of the most kind of beautiful pictures of trust that we see in Scripture, Meredith res- or Meredith, Mary responds, that's my wife, <laughs> little props, Mary responds to the angel in song. Look at verse 46, flip ahead. So in all this chaos and upheaval and struggle and fear, Mary responds in song. She sings back to God, which I find remarkable. And this is what she says in those first few verses. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he has been mindful of me, of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And he goes on and on. When I face upheaval and struggle in my life, when I face uncertainty and I face things that I don't understand and my life is riddled with questions and I'm not real sure what to turn or even how I'm going to tell anybody about the things that I'm struggling with, usually the last thing I respond to the Lord with is song. The last thing I say is basically, God, I trust you with my life. My soul glorifies you. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior, that I am yet a humble servant and I will be called blessed because you have done great things for me. What great things has God done for Mary? She's just heard this angel say these things. She's yet to even really experience them. She's got to tell her family and the whole kind of culture that was already took the words of a woman and put them somewhere below the words of a man. How was anyone going to believe her? What has God done for her except thrown her life into chaos? She's yet to see this baby Jesus. She's yet to see him walk and do these miracles and feed 5,000 and die on a cross. She doesn't know any of that. All she knows is that God showed up in her life and he says, I'm going to do something in you that's different than I've ever done. And here's what it's going to look like. Trust me. Trust me. It's basically what the angel's saying. And Mary responds by saying, God, my soul glorifies you. I was moved by that this, this weekend because, man, in my moments of chaos, the very, very seldom do I look at God and say, thank you for the chaos because I know you're moving in it. My prayers are, God, remove this craziness. Give me peace. Help me see you in the middle of all this, but give me peace. And Mary basically just says, I have no idea what's about to come, but God, thank you for choosing me. Blown away. What God does is he gives his presence, and Mary chooses to respond in trust. You're going to have a lot of choices that you face this season. You're going to have choices on how you're going to spend your money, 
how you're going to spend your life, your time, the words you're going to say, what you're going to engage in. My prayer for you, my prayer for me, is that we would choose to give what God gave, which is presence. God gave his presence. The greatest gift he could give humanity was himself. I deeply believe as followers of Christ, the greatest gift we can give the people around us is ourself in Christ. It's not things wrapped under the tree and all those. There's nothing inherently wrong with gift giving. But the idea is, what if you gave yourself in Christ to someone else? I just want to be with you. I want to talk to you about the things that God has done in me. I want to, I want to be around you. I think I told this story a few years ago, but I have a dear friend who works very hard. And we were talking on the phone a few years ago, and he said, I said, how's it going? It was Christmas time. And he said, man, I'm, I'm struggling. And I said, why? He goes, man, I'm working about 100 hours a week. And I said, dude, why are you working so much? He goes, man, I, I have got to earn overtime, make extra money so that I can pay for all the stuff that we're doing. We talked about it for a little bit. We hung up. And I thought to myself, what a tragedy. Here's this great friend of mine who is basically working to give his resources to his family. When I know his family so well, they just want him. The things are great, but man, if we could have dad, that would be remarkable. You see, the gift of presence is really powerful. Now, in a moment of sheer confession, okay, total honesty, because that's just what I give you, transparency. Saturday, no, Friday, I was going to work on this sermon. Uh, We had finished Thanksgiving, and I was trying to get some stuff done, and we were down in Austin with all of our family. And I needed to break away. Meredith thought I was trying to run away with the family. Partly true. Um... But I needed to get some stuff done. I was going to go write and get some stuff done for a sermon and stuff on Sunday. So she said, hey, I've got some stuff. Will you take this stuff back to Target? I'm gonna, I just want my money back or whatever. And I said, sure, no problem. I don't know if you've been to Target on a Friday of after Thanksgiving. But it's tar- nothing inherently wrong with Target. I mean, we love Target. If I can't buy it at Target, I probably don't need it. That's my philosophy. So here I am at Target, and it is chaos. I mean, not the midnight kind of chaos where people punch each other in the face, but the kind of chaos where it's like, I just don't like being here, chaos. And I'm waiting in this crazy return line because I want my money back. And I was just frustrated. <coughs> Excuse me. Just frustrated. Finally get it all exchanged. Sit down to write this stuff. And I'm dealing with lines and presents and frustration and some lady elbowing me by accident or whatever. And I got to get my money back. And I'm wrapped up in that Christmas madness. Right? I wasn't even shopping. I was just trying to get my stuff back. But nonetheless, I just found myself being frustrated with the experience. So I go to the Starbucks right across from the Target. And I sit down, and I start trying to work this stuff, and I'm reading these scriptures. And this woman comes over, and she taps me on the shoulder. And she says, is that, is that the word? That's, that's the, her, her phrase, is that the word? Which is not something you normally hear, right? I mean, it just sounded, caught me off guard. A lot of times, what are you reading or what are you studying? And I turn to her, and there's this little petite woman, and uh, kind of probably in her, in her mid-50s. And I said, uh, yes, ma'am, because, of course, as a pastor, I know that the word means God, right? And anyone who grew up in church knows what that means. I said, uh, yes, ma'am, it is. And she said, I'm Persian. I'm uh, from Iran, and I am a convert. I'm a Christian. I'm the first Christian in my family. I'm a first-generation Christian. And I said, well, that's incredible. And she said, what are you reading? And I said, well, and I begin to tell her, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to preach on Sunday, and I'm talking about Advent and Christmas and, and Jesus not only being born in the manger, but the second coming of Christ and what this sort of means, what Christmas means. And my whole thing, I was going through this whole thing, I was like, my whole idea here that I see is that Christmas is about presence. 
presence of God. And she said, tell me about that. So here we are in Starbucks, and I'm saying, the greatest thing that God could give us, right, is his presence, who he was. He said, I love you so much that I give you myself in Christ to redeem you. We're having this conversation. These tears get, huge tears get in her eyes. And she looks at me, she says, I can't believe this is what he did for me. And here I am, angry about presence, and this woman is blown away by God's presence. And I thought, Lord, I'm just, I'm a goof. I mean, here I am, going to tell everybody what they're doing wrong, and I wrapped up in the middle of all this stuff. The truth is, is that it just happens without even thinking. You just get carried away with to-do lists and struggles and frustrations and traffic and credit card bills and things, and you don't even know how you got there. Now is the perfect time to just say, wait. It's number four, just wait. God, I want to make sure that my focus first is about you. And what if the first thing that I recognized that you gave me was yourself, and that I wanted to give myself away? That Christmas is about presence. Next week, we're going to give you an opportunity, tell you an opportunity about how you can do that as a family or as an individual, how you can give part of yourself and radically rethink this season. Because it changed my whole line of thinking, convicting and all that it was to look at this woman and say, first time anyone in her entire family has ever had the opportunity to say yes to Jesus. And she was so proud of that moment. We should be shouting this from the rooftops, standing in jaw-dropping amazement of what God did for us. But that manger was not a manger. It was the entry point of God giving us the most incredible gift imaginable, himself. And that's what we should proclaim. Christmas is about presence. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the moments, just the simple moments to gather here.